Hello, and welcome back to the Get Unstuck and On Target podcast. I'm Mike O'Neill, your host from Bench Builders. We're speaking with successful business leaders to uncover tips to help you break down the barriers that are keeping you or your business stuck. Joining me today from Montreal is Brendan from Master Talk. I first learned of Brendan through his YouTube channel called Master Talk. And when you check it out, you can find out why Master Talk is well on its way to being the largest YouTube channel dedicated to helping folks improve their public speaking skills. So Brendan is therefore a natural choice to be on this podcast because it's the fear of public speaking that often holds leaders back, literally keeping them stuck in their career progression. Speaking of career, Brendan works full-time for IBM as a business transformation coach. In addition, Brendan works one-on-one -on -one with executives who want to improve their public speaking skills. But in doing so, Brenda came to that realization that most folks, they don't have access to or can afford a coach. And it was that realization that led to the creation of Master Talk a high quality public speaking videos available for free on YouTube. We're so glad to have you with us, Brendan. Welcome. Such a pleasure, Mike. I really appreciate the introduction. Very humbling. Thanks for having me on. Brendan, what is it about public speaking that causes such anxiety? Uh, the, the million dollar question to start us off. All right, so let's break this down. I've been on shows around the place, and what I've always found, Mike, is it doesn't really matter which country you speak to or the people within that country. Regardless of how they were raised, where they went to school, how they were educated, we all share this common fear of public speaking, and we have no clue where that fear comes from. So it allows me to shed some light there. Where do we give the vast majority of our presentations? The answer is almost always school. We don't wake up one morning and say, hey, Mike, you want to get breakfast and present all day? Not a thing. What happens is we're in high school, we're in college, we're in university. Teacher comes up to us and three things happen. Number one, we never get to pick the topic. And if we do, it's generally something we're not passionate about. Number two, students don't care to listen to us. Not because they don't like us. We're great people here. The people who are listening to us are also amazing. The issue is school is one of the few presentation environments where the people listening to you are also presenters. So what does that mean? When you're standing up there and you're wondering, why is it nobody paying attention to me? You might be thinking it's because you're a bad speaker, which isn't the case at all. The reality is I'm sitting in the room biting my nails because I got to present 10 minutes after you. So I'm not thinking about you or your ideas. I'm worried about mine. That's the issue. Number three. Teachers. Teachers are very well educated, very well intentioned, but also very stressed. When you have 70 students in a classroom, you got two classes to go through all of them. Well, let's just say they don't have time to coach us individually one-on-one -on -one, for 10 minutes. So let's recap. In almost all of the presentations you've given until you entered the workplace, three things have happened. You've always been presenting topics you weren't passionate about to students who never wanted to listen to you, to teachers who are too stressed to coach you. And this behavior gets repeated in every subject, math, sciences, history, English, music, on and on and on. We're taught to believe that public speaking is a chore. 
it's a responsibility. If you're at school, it's tied to a grade. And if you're at work, it's tied to a result. And if you get bad or if you do a bad job, you get punished for it, whether it's a lower grade or the promotion that you don't get at work. So what's the punchline, Mike? The punchline is that the fear of public speaking has nothing to do with us, but rather everything to do with the system in which we grew up learning it in the first place. I'm, I'm fascinated to hear you say that because what you describe is this is a universal thing that you've experienced working with clients literally all over the world and it's a learned behavior and if it's a learned behavior perhaps it can be unlearned. I know that you work one-on-one -on -one with executives and helping them improve the effectiveness of their public speaking but what's the hardest thing that you find that they have to overcome to make those improvements? Absolutely. For, from my experience, I, I think the issue with, with executive coaching, the challenge from a communication perspective, is it's hard for them to take feedback at the beginning. The reason is because them relative to everyone else in the company, there aren't that much differences. So let's say you're an HR director at a company and you're comparing yourself to not the CHRO necessarily, who's the chief human resource officer for those who are listening, or maybe just the SVP or the manager, you don't really see that much incremental difference between either of the two. So you kind of just think or rationalize that you're this incredible speaker, but you never think to compare yourself to the CEO of the organization. You're always comparing yourself with the next rank because that's the next thing that you're going after. And that's where the core issue lies. So whenever I go up to executives and I, and I point out their mistakes, not anymore because I usually pick the people I work with now, but in the past, it would always start with, well, Brenda, I don't know what you're talking about. I've been giving the same thing, doing it the same way for 20 years. And I always respond with, well, yeah, if you keep doing that, you're just going to get the same results and you'll never move up the C-suite position. Because we have to remember as executives, when you're a manager, you're presenting based on a very specific work stream. If you're an executive, you're presenting to other managers. But if you're the CEO or in the C-suite, you're presenting to the whole company. So the way that you're interacting and your communication skills over time as you climb the corporate ladder change dramatically. It goes from, oh, this is what I did this week on this small project to now I'm managing all of them. So I need to make sure that I'm crisp, I'm clear, and the way that I communicate also inspires people to take action. So the number one step for the executive to realize is the gap between their communication skills and the CEO of the company and no other position. And by understanding that gap, they'll see the opportunity to get better. This is very, very interesting. So what you try to challenge them to do is understand that gap, to recognize that the gap exists, to aspire to, and set relatively kind of a high bar. As you're working one-on-one -on -one, uh, with these executives and they begin to overcome some of these challenges, what do you see happens? What feelings are you sensing from them as they overcome these issues. Right. So, so you would think of public speaking like a match, Mike. So when, it, it takes a while to get the match started, but when the match is on fire, then you're just, you're, you're off to the races. So what I make my executives do is I actually coach them in groups after a one-on-one -on -one call that you alluded to very well. And after I've assessed them individually, I bring them all in a group with other high ranking executives who are in the same level as them. And I make them present to each other and give feedback to each other. So what happens is when one of them starts 10xing in like a, a week, all of your other executives feel 
like the fear of missing out essentially they kind of just go well no i want to get there too and then they start to compete with each other in a very friendly way so what happens is they get all better at communication public speaking within the span of just a, a couple of weeks and i think the reason behind that is because they don't want to look bad in front of other people of the same level as them Right. So if, if you're practicing with your low, your manager, sure, I mean, if, if, if the manager is getting better, you're happy for him. But at the same time, you don't really mind too much. But if there's another executive within your industry who's doing way better than you are, you're like, well, if I, I need to be setting the bar, not them. I'm the person who's been working in this industry for 10 years. I need to get better. So it's that accountability piece that I think has been, uh, has been effective in my coaching. You've married up not only accountability, but to some extent, peer pressure. And you mentioned the word 10x. Do you find when you're in a group setting that it's not uncommon that one person has really just taken off and, and raised his or her game? Oh, absolutely. Like what generally happens, let's say I coach mostly technology executives these days, so I'll use them as an example. So what I always do first is I always compare them with the CEO of their company. So let's say you take something like Salesforce. So a manager at Salesforce would explain the CRM system and the technicalities of everything of the configuration. Whereas when Mark Benioff is explaining Salesforce was the CEO of the company and the founder, he wouldn't explain Salesforce with all the technical specs and all those elements. That's not interesting to the end client who doesn't understand the tech. He's going to inspire people. That's why he has a whole event called Dreamforce, where he helps us dream about new ways of using technology as a way to make change. So notice how the way that the manager, the CEO is communicating is com completely different, like night and day. So first I make them realize that gap and within your, your respective industries, those are listening, the same logic applies. And then after that, what, I, what happens is usually two out of eight of the group takes communication really seriously. The other six are kind of just there like, okay, well, if I do this for 12 weeks, I'll get better over time. But those two keeners are always sending me videos of them presenting and saying, Brendan, like I need to get into the C-suite like yesterday, right? I know that wasn't English, but it's, a, it's how they kind of communicate that to me. So give me feedback all the time. And they obviously have 24 seven access to me for that types of stuff. So after a week, they go from, uh, yeah, so hi, my name is Sai and I'm the, I'm the chief director in tech too. Did you know that 47% of technology transformations in our society, and then they just get really good really fast and then all the other executives are usually a bit introverted. Look at that and go, wait, I know that guy. How did he go from A to B? Or I know that gal. How did she go from A to B so quickly? I need to step up my game. And then it creates that spiraling effect that we see in the program. You use the word introvert. Um, in your experience, does an extrovert have an advantage or does it make a difference? Right. I get this question a lot. And what I always say is it doesn't at all. Actually, I'm going to actually argue the opposite case. A lot of my best clients are actually introverts. And I'll explain that quickly right now. So there's three key advantages that introverts have as speakers that experts do not. Number one is that they listen a lot more. That's something I struggled with because I'm a hardcore expert. I'm always talking all the time. Hence why I'm on the show. I'm always speaking and speaking and speaking. So I'm not spending enough attention saying, hey, what is Mike looking at at this podcast? What can I do to serve him and his audience a bit more? Whereas an introvert, since they spend a lot more time on average in silence, they're able to listen more to what your needs are, what their clients' needs are, and adapt a lot faster than I ever could. So it took me a long time to master that. Of course, I mastered it now, but it took me a while. To... Number two, silences and pauses. We all know that the, most, the foundational element of communication is this ability to pause, 
to emphasize specific parts of our message to drive impact and to drive takeaways that matter for the projects and the, the opportunities that we're currently working on. An introvert has a super easy time understanding this concept. Why? Because it takes, they spend most of their time in silence anyways, on average, of course. So when I tell them about silences and pauses, they kind of just look at me and say, well, Brendan, I already knew that. I just didn't know it applied to presentations, but that makes sense to me. So after a couple of days, they mastered it. Whereas a guy like me, that's going to take several years. And the reason is because whenever I'm at a party or an event or a networking cocktail, I don't like when there's space and there's no noise. So I always try and fill up the space. So whenever I try and pause, it doesn't work as well. Once again, it works well now, but it took me a long time to get right. But the introverts master this very fast. Number three, that not many people talk about, is that introverted speakers are often less polarizing. What does that mean? Well, it means the following. Let's take Gary Vaynerchuk as an example. It's somebody most people would probably know. He's a huge social media mogul. He's the CEO of one of the fastest growing marketing agencies in the world. And he, I just really like the guy also. So I always like to use him as an example. So he's probably the most extroverted speaker in the circuit right now. I would say out of all the paid professional speakers out there, he's, he's definitely the most extroverted. There's definitely benefits to that. You know, he's loud, people hear him, people understand him. And he has a huge group of raving fans that I'm also a part of that just admire and love what he does. But there's also, and he knows this, there's a huge group of people who also despise him. This guy's so loud, he's so obnoxious all the time. What's wrong with this guy? So what happens when you're an extroverted speaker is that you're often very polarizing. You have people who really love you and people who really don't. Introvert speakers don't have that problem. Susan Cain, Brene Brown, Seth Godin, to use a, a, a comparison to marketing. You don't see anybody at conferences go, you know that Seth Godin guy? I hate him. Nobody says that. Same thing with Brene or, or Susan, who's the author of the book, Quiet, and The Power of Introverts. That's the point. When you're an introverted speaker, you're often less polarizing and you actually end up getting most of the audience to fall in love with you relative to an extrovert. So what's the lesson here, Mike? The lesson is not, are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? Does it matter? The more important question to ask is, are you willing to learn from the other? Very well said. Um, as an extrovert, I would have expected a different response, but what you've shared with us makes perfectly good logical sense. And what I'm hearing you say, it matters not. What matters most is the person's willingness to work on, to understand the things that you're describing here. Absolutely. When you are doing what you do, how do you keep yourself? Our audience are leaders. And sometimes leaders can kind of get in a bit of a cocoon. How do you keep from being in a cocoon and still learn? Absolutely. And that's something I, I, I'm glad I learned early in life is this, this ability for me, intelligence means the ability for you to understand everyone else's perspective. If you're not willing to add perspectives from other people, I learn from six-year-olds all the time. One of my best clients is one of my executives' is, is daughter, and she's seven years old, and she's better at communication than most of my executive clients. Why? Because she's more open-minded. She's not afraid to sing a song in an introduction, and that tells us a lot about life. And I'll, I'll tell you the lesson. The lesson is, you know, the life is a playground, as I got from the movie Yes Man, but as we get older, we tend to forget it. So when you're a kid, you don't 
you don't forget it because you're living in that moment. So it allows you to be more creative. Whereas a lot of executives don't have lost that ability over time because they're so fixated on the next deliverable, which isn't an issue, but it prevents us from being that top 1% speaker we're meant to be. So for me, learning is always constant. It's always consistent. I'm always trying to learn as much as possible from different people. So my advice is the person that you should be learning from is always the person that you disagree with the most. So the person that you hate, the person you would you wouldn't stand, the person you would never listen to, this person's opinions, whether it's politics, religion, business, doesn't really matter. Those are the people you should be listening to. That is how you really get better over time. So in that case, would you suggest that you listen to people, maybe a podcast, and you're listening to someone who you may not particularly agree with? Absolutely not. And let me build on this a bit more as to why I believe this and why it's important. The geniuses of our society, the people who really stand out are the people who are able to digest everyone's perspectives and then pick the right direction forward. But if all of you're doing is feeding yourself with the perspectives that you already believe in, you're not really learning anything new. So for example, if I believe a certain thing, I need to go see the opposite opinion. So, uh, Canny example I can give you, super easy with YouTube. Should I be posting every day or once a week? And so if you think about Gary Vee, he's posting every single day on his YouTube channel, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. But he also has a huge team. But then you have Charisma on Command. That is another similar public speaking, charisma, confidence giving channel like my, mine. And they post only once a week and they've been doing that for six years. Is there a right answer here? Not necessarily. It's different approaches for different people. But what I realized is Charisma on Command has much more, a lot more subscribers than Gary Vee's channel does. So by looking at both perspectives as a founder, as a leader, as an executive, your goal is to study both meticulously and go, based on my unique beliefs and my unique direction that I want to go in life, which makes the most sense to follow? So for me, it makes more sense to do Charisma on Command because I don't have to burn myself out to write thought leadership every day. And I can write it much more in advance so I can put out better quality stuff. So that's the decision I ended up making based on all of the data points. But if you're not willing to digest all the data points, it's going to be much harder for you to get to that next level. As I'm listening to you, I'm reflecting on going back and watching a number of your videos on YouTube on, on Master Talk. And I'm encouraging our listeners to do the same. You have put together quite a few of those. Um, as you have been doing this, you've been doing, how long has Master Talk been available on YouTube? Absolutely. So, so I started coaching maybe five years ago, Mike, but uh, I started YouTube uh, a year and a half ago around. And in a year and a half, in terms of the lessons you've learned, we've talked offline and you've given me some good points on to improve, hopefully, uh, my effectiveness. But what are the, some things that you've learned along the line? We've got leaders who in the back of their minds says, you know what? I'm really drawing inspiration from Brendan. I too might want to do something like this. But if a person is wanting to learn more about how to do a YouTube and or start a podcast, how are you directing them? Are you suggesting just go to your and subscribe to yours and just watch yours? Or if someone wants to kind of immerse themselves in what you have to offer, what's the best way for them to do that? Absolutely. So, so there's a couple of great things there that you mentioned that I'd love to touch upon. So the first thing that I would talk, since we're talking to executives specifically, the number one thing you should be doing besides communication is building a personal brand and being a thought leader yourself in your own space. 
Because the difference between a C-suite executive and an SVP is that the person in the C-suite is providing new knowledge into the space that doesn't exist yet. That's why I'm a thought leader, because I'm creating new knowledge that doesn't exist yet. So how do you do that? How do you create, how do you follow a framework that allows you to achieve that? It's actually simple. It's a question that I got from a book called Zero to One by Peter Thiel, who is the founder of PayPal, worked a lot with Elon Musk on a bunch of other companies. And the question he asked in the book is very fascinating. The question goes as follows. What is the truth that you believe in that most people disagree with you on? What is something that you believe to be true about how the world works or your own industry that most of the industry would say no to? And that's exactly that how Seth Gonan made his name in the marketing space. In the late 1990s, when spam emails were really important, he, he pioneered this concept of what he called permission marketing, where people want to subscribe to you if they want to hear from you and your leads and the way that you generate revenue would be much bigger. But back then, people thought he was a you-know-what, like he didn't know what he was talking about. And he ended up being right in spades and pretty much right his whole life. That's why he's been very successful and he's such a highly paid speaker and a thought leader that I myself personally admire. So now how can we take those lessons back into your own industry? My ask that really has nothing to do with public speaking, but rather how you build knowledge that incentivizes you to speak it out is saying, what is it about my industry that I disagree with? What are the directions of that industry that people are saying is going that I think is wrong? And I'll give you the example with me in public speaking. We could have a whole show, Mike, on the 57 things that I disagree with in my own industry. I'll give you the number one example. Most professional speech coaches, or usually PhDs, start like this. Did you know, Mike, that after death, the greatest fear that plagues our society is public speaking? Obviously, I'm cartooning a bit here, but you get what I'm saying. They, they bring this statistic. But if we just take a step back here and say, what is the goal here? What are we trying to achieve with this workshop? Our goal is to inspire people like Mike and people who are listening to speak better, to inspire, and to share ideas that matter. The last thing I'm going to do in one of my workshops is talk about that statistic. The last thing you're going to do to help people get better at public speaking is compare it to the very thing they, don't, they, don't, they, they hate the most, which is death. So just that <laughs> very concept makes absolutely no sense to me. Yeah, sure, it's accurate. But why are you bringing it up? That doesn't serve your audience. So that's one of 57 things that I've thought of. There are actually probably 87, since there's 87 videos on my YouTube channel. And that's what makes me a thought leader. Not because I'm special, not because I'm important, not because I'm unique, but because I'm willing to communicate aspects of an industry that most people disagree with if I know those things to be true. So that's what you should be focused on. And if you have those thoughts, then the only thing left to do is communicate those ideas in a way that you're comfortable with. That could be a LinkedIn article. That could be starting a page on Medium. That could be an email list where you share thoughts to your internal team or just an internal email to your company where you share thoughts over time. But the key that I want to drive is you want to do this consistently because that is how you become better and how you, you're able to generate thoughts like this. You know, the topic we've been focused on primarily is on speaking and how to improve the effectiveness of speaking. But you made a comment about personal brand, and that is it's your responsibility as a leader. As leaders, we have to own our own brand. And in terms of you've got the dozens of videos available for free on YouTube that people can access. 
But might the kinds of tips that you make to improve the effectiveness of public speaking also apply in communicating in other forums? That Absolutely. is, oh, uh, be it LinkedIn, be it whatever it might be. Do those things carry over into other areas? Absolutely. It's a great question. So the way I need to think about communication is it's like a multiplier effect. When you become a master of one, you all of a sudden become a master of all. And how we tie this into personal branding is the following. You get hired on what you do, but you get promoted on who you are, mm. right? Let me repeat that again. You get promoted on what you do. You know, you're, you're applying for a senior executive role. You do this, but you get promoted on who you are and what you stand for and where you want to take the company. That is how you differentiate yourself from everyone else around there. Mike, Mike is the guy because he has that podcast. He does this thing. He's trying to bridge these gaps. That's unique about him. And the best way to communicate your personal brand, as you probably guessed, is through public speaking. Don't let other people define who you are. Clearly communicate it so nobody else holds your story for hostage. Right? Because by sharing what you think about the world, you're setting an expectation for how you want to communicate yourself to the world. Right? So going back to this idea of communication, different mediums, what happened with me is I was really good at presentation skills where I got better over time. And then as I skyrocket in that one specific vertical, everything else elevated. I got better at conversations. I got better with meetings. I got better with email sending, LinkedIn articles, et cetera. And then after you master the first vertical, you go to the next one, which ended up being conversations. So at a young age, what I ended up doing was I started meeting a bunch of CEOs for coffees just to pick their brains. So I would sort of humanize them, right? So instead of seeing them on this pedestal, I brought them to my level. And then at some point, I was convinced that I was a CEO too. So then I mastered conversational skills. And then after you go to the next vertical, the next vertical, and at some point you become a master of all. You are, however, the CEO of, of Brendan, are you not? That, that's true, absolutely. <laughs> and you're also trying to cultivate your own brand. I don't want to end our time together without going back to Master Talk just for a moment. And that is, um, if, if people will watch particularly the early videos as to what was kind of led to you to creation of that. Um, you're trying to build something unique. You clearly have a passion for it. Would you kind of elaborate? What is it you're trying to build with Master Talk that I think folks would find interesting? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think the, the thesis behind Master and why I started it later on as I realized is this idea that Dale Carnegie was born in the wrong time period of history. So think about Dale's work. I'm sure everyone's familiar with it. The author of How to Win Friends and Influence People sold tens of millions of copies throughout the world. Monster success, right? Very successful person. But the issue to that story, the sad part of the narrative is he was born in the wrong time period. So we don't have a Dale Carnegie YouTube channel. We don't have a Dale Carnegie podcast. We don't even actually know how he sounds like or how he gives a speech. Or even if we did, I think it's like little morsels. So we don't have the perfect picture. I was fortunate and quite lucky, I would add, that I ended up being born in a first country in an era where technology and this type of content can be produced for no money. So I have an opportunity to share every single morsel of communication that when it's my turn to pass, everyone can learn from me forever. So Master Talk is my attempt to democratize the world's information on public speaking. So whether you're an eight-year-old girl in Cambodia or you're a senior level executive in a US Fortune 500 company, that every single person who wants to share an idea that matters can, especially if they can't afford it. 
Brenda, that's inspiring. Um, and I appreciate you sharing um, your insights. I particularly want to thank you for your willingness to kind of give us just a, a sneak uh, peek into um, who you are, what drives you, what you have found that works best. And you're humble enough to acknowledge you don't have all the answers. You're continually learning and you're, you're mining for that information. I want to encourage our listeners, if they want to connect with you online, what's the best way for them to do that? Absolutely. And to build on your point, before I guess I talk about my social medias, is this idea that the more you know, the more you realize how much you don't know. So the more you, you actually study and learn, the more you realize that, wow, I actually need to listen to everyone else around me to get better. So I appreciate you saying that it really means a lot. And for those who want to connect with me, the easiest way is definitely the YouTube channel. It's master talk in one word. You just type that up, it'll pop up. And if you want to send a message to me directly, you can do so on Instagram. My handle is master your talk, but since a lot of executives are listening, feel free to also connect with me on LinkedIn, which is my name that I'm sure Mike will, will post up in the show notes. It will be. Uh, Brenda, thank you again for your availability. This has been a real treat for me, and I know it's going to be a real treat for the listeners who listen into this podcast. I want to wrap up here. I want to thank the folks who have joined us for this episode of Get Unstuck and On Target. And we're lining up great guests like Brendan, and I'm confident that you'll enjoy getting to know. We'll be uploading the latest episode every Thursday. And we hope that you'll subscribe to this podcast and invite your fellow leaders to do the same. Probably the easiest way to subscribe to this podcast is go to your browser and type unstuck.show. Again, unstuck.show. Or you can go to our website, bench-builders.com. Again, thank you for joining us. And we hope you've picked up some tips that will help you get unstuck and on target. Until next time. All the best.